Hello, friends. This is Darren Hayes of PigskinDispatch.com. Before we take you to your favorite Sports History Network show, just want to tell you a little bit about some merch that you can pick up that represents your favorite SHN podcast. So far, there's t-shirts, coffee mugs, and even books from some of the authors that do podcasts right here on SHN. Who could buy something better than that than have the history right from the, the gentleman that you hear talking about it? But we also are adding things each and every day. And where's that store, may you ask? Well, it's at SportsHistoryNetwork.com. Up at the top, there is the SHN. HN merch button. Click on that. It'll take you right to the store and you can be representing your favorite podcast and show the world that, hey, on the swag that I'm using, it's the headquarters of Sports Yesteryear, Sports History Network, and my favorite podcaster, the Sports History Network store. Shop there today. Lombardi Memories, a show that takes you back in time, into January or February, to the greatest one-day spectacle in all of sports. This is the Every Other Tuesday podcast that looks back at each and every one of the 50-plus Super Bowls and tells the story of who won and why. For the fan who needs more than just a box score, this podcast goes drive-by-drive, play-by-play through the most dramatic games in history. I'm your host, Tommy A. Phillips, and today we have Super Bowl III, the third AFL-NFL World Championship game between the NFL champion Baltimore Colts and the AFL champion New York Jets. This game was played on January 12, 1969, at the Miami Orange Bowl. As discussed last week, Super Bowls 1 and 2 are the only Super Bowls played back-to-back in the same stadium. As always, we have a pop quiz and then homework at the end of the episode. My pop quiz question today is, what makes Joe Willie Namath's MVP award of this game unique amongst quarterbacks in Super Bowl history? The answer will come at the end of the podcast. The NFL champion Baltimore Colts were completely and utterly dominant entering Super Bowl III. They lost just one game in the regular season, a 10-point loss to Cleveland. Without that loss, we're talking about the league's first ever 14-0 team. As it was, the Colts entered the postseason at 13-1. They set out two opponents in the regular season and another in the postseason. Baltimore beat Minnesota 24-14 in the first round of the playoffs before winning the NFL championship game 34-0 over the Cleveland Browns, getting revenge for their one loss in the regular season. Quarterback Earl Morrow, who took over for an injured Johnny Unitas, was named MVP of the National Football League. To put it plain and simple, the Colts were a juggernaut. As for the Jets, they finished 11-3 in the regular season. Two of those losses, though, were very close ones. A 37-35 loss to Buffalo and a 43-32 loss to Oakland in the infamous Heidi game, where the Raiders scored two touchdowns after 
NBC had switched its feed to the movie Heidi, missing the exciting ending to the 11-point Oakland victory. The Jets got revenge in the AFL championship game by beating Oakland 27-23. But the Jets were giant underdogs entering the Super Bowl. Sure, quarterback Joe Willie Namath was outstanding, but the AFL hadn't proven much in the first two Super Bowls. It was still considered a Mickey Mouse league. The Colts were installed as 18-point favorites over the Jets for this Super Bowl. That was when Namath stood up at the Miami Touchdown Club and said something to the effect of, We're going to win. I guarantee it. The actual words he spoke are somewhat a mystery. It's kind of like how everyone thinks Captain Kirk said beam me up Scotty in Star Trek when he never actually said those words. Navis' words, you know, his exact words, they're recorded differently in every source you read. Here's what's important, though. Namath gave his opponents a lot of motivation by guaranteeing a victory. And he also gave his own team a lot of motivation because they wanted to back up his words. The Jets won the coin toss and chose to receive. Returner Earl Christie took back the opening kickoff 2-22. The Jets shifted their offense on the very first play, something that surprised NBC announcer Kirk Gowdy. All the shifting was was for a four-yard run by running back Matt Snell. Snell ran on the next play as well, getting a first down to the 34. He also caught Namath's first pass near the 40-yard line, but then he was tackled on a draw in the backfield for a loss by defensive tackle Fred Miller. The Jets were forced to punt, and after an offside penalty on Baltimore that didn't give the Jets a first down, they kicked it down to the Baltimore 27. The Colts moved the ball right downfield. Morrow threw to tight end John Mackey for a first down at the 46. Then he pitched to running back Tom Matte, who picked up the first down at the Jets 44. Running back Jerry Hill took a carry, and he gained seven more yards. He'd pick up the next first down at the 31. Morrow then found tight end Tom Mitchell, and he got a first down at the 19. From there, though, the Colts couldn't move the ball at all on their next three plays, because Morrow threw a couple of incomplete passes, and then Jets linebacker Larry Grantham tackled Morrow for no gain on third down. It was almost a sack. Kicker Lou Michaels tried a field goal from about 27 yards out or so because the goalposts were on the goal line at the time so you didn't have to be as close to kick it but his kick was wide to the right, no good. Namath completed a pass to fullback Bill Mathis for a first down of 35 but the Jets were soon forced to punt. Baltimore took over at the 42. They went 3 and out though as well but David Lee, their punter, kicked a wobbly punt. It ended up bouncing fortuitously, and it went down to the 
three-yard line, forcing the Jets into bad field position. On third down of this first series of... <laughs> on third down, Namath threw a pass to George receiver George Sauer, who caught the pass, but then had the ball knocked out of his hands by defensive back Lenny Lowes. Linebacker Ron Porter recovered the loose ball at the Jets' 12, and the first quarter came to an end with the game still scoreless. To start out the second quarter, Mate took a pitch and got down to the 5. Morrill then went to the end zone trying to score a touchdown, but he had the pass tipped by his receiver Mitchell and intercepted by defensive back Randy Beverly. He got a touchback, and the Jets started at their own 20. Snell ran it three times to start out the next drive, and he got a first down at the 33. He then took a fourth run on a draw and picked up another first down at the 46. Namath dumped it off for Mathis, and he got past midfield to the 48. Namath then hit Sauer on back-to-back plays, getting two first downs, moving the ball to the 23-yard line. He then threw to Snell for a first down at the 9. Snell ran it twice from there, and he scored off the left side on a run from the 4-yard line, and his 4-yard touchdown gave the Jets a 7-0 lead with kicker Jim Turner kicking the extra point. Kicking woes would plague both teams, though, on their next drives. Borrell threw to Mate, and he slipped the tackle and got a huge gain to the Jets' 42-yard line. He'd run it for another five yards, but then the drive came to an end on an incomplete pass. Michaels tried a 46-yard field goal from there, but he missed wide to the right. But the Jets would do the same thing. Namath got the Jets downfield with a pass to Sauer for a first down at the Baltimore 44. Snell ran it twice from there, and he got a first down at the 32. But then Namath threw a couple of incomplete passes, and he got sacked on third down by linebacker Don Sinek. So kicker Jim Turner came back on, tried a 41-yard field goal, and he missed it as well, wide to the left. The Colts began their next drive with a six-yard pass to receiver Willie Richardson. Mate then ripped off a long run, cutting back and bursting through a hole. He ended up going 58 yards all the way down to the Jets' 16-yard line. And if it wasn't for defensive back Bill Baird, uh, he would have scored a touchdown. But Bill Baird made the tackle, saved the touchdown. And it turned out to be a huge tackle because two plays later, Morrill threw an interception to defensive back Johnny Sample at the one-yard line. Baltimore forced a New York punt, and the Colts got the ball back at the Jets' 42 with 45 seconds left in the half. So Morrow threw a short pass to Hill, and then the Colts called timeout with 25 seconds left. Here came the biggest play of the game. So here's what I'm Morrow handed off the Mate, 
Mate ran the ball to the right side, and then he lateraled it all the way back across the field to Morrow. So now Morrow has the ball and is trying to throw it downfield, and receiver Jimmy Orr breaks wide open. So if Morrow sees him, it's an easy touchdown, but Morrow didn't see it. Instead, he threw a pass in the coverage, and it got picked off by defensive back Jim Hudson. So the Colts went to halftime trailing 7-0 when they should have been tied at 7. On the first play of the second half, Jets linebacker Ralph Baker forced the fumble from Mate, and, he re and Baker recovered Mate's fumble. The Jets then moved deep into Baltimore territory, with Snell rushing for a first down at the 11. Then things started going bad for the Jets' offense. Running back Emerson Boozer lost six yards on a run, tackled by defensive back Lenny Lyles. Then Namath got sacked by defensive end Bubba Smith. On third down, Namath nearly threw a pick six. Jerry Logan, a defensive back, he sort of had the interception and maybe a touchdown, but he couldn't haul it in. So the Jets settled for a 32-yard field goal from Turner, and that made it 10 to nothing. The Colts then went three and out, and the Jets got the ball back at their own 32. Namath threw the sour for a first down at the 47, and then he fired a third down pass to tight end Pete Lamons for a first down at the Baltimore 38. He'd then go to Snell for another first down at the 25. That set up a 30-yard field goal by Turner, and the Jets took a 13-0 lead. Now Baltimore head coach Don Shula put Johnny Unitas into the game because Morrow had been so ineffective. Johnny Unitas came in trying to save the day, but on his first drive, the Colts went three and out. Jets got the ball back after a punt at their own 38. Namath hit Sauer for a first down on a third down play, getting to the midfield stripe. He then aired it out, and Sauer hauled it in for a first down at the nine on a long pass. The Jets couldn't punch it into the end zone, but they got a nine-yard field goal from Turner. Yeah, nine yards on a field goal. You, that's not even possible today. And it was just as good because it made it a 16-0 lead. And we'll, we'll get to why that was so significant in a moment. Uh, we, we go into... That, that was early in the fourth quarter. So now Unitas is in at quarterback. And uh, Mate ran a sweep. He got a first down of 38, which was the first first down for the Colts in the second half. Unitas then threw to Richardson for another six yards. And Mate ran for a first down to the Jets' 37-yard line. Hill then took the ball further all the way to the Jets' 26 for another first down. But then Unitas threw an interception in the end zone to Beverly, and it was a touchback for New York. Jets head coach Weeb Eubank got conservative at this point, knowing that all he needed to do was run out the clock. 
So Boozer got a first down on a pitch to the 30. Then Snell made it to the 40. And he had 15 yards tacked on thanks to a personal foul, late hit, something of the sort. Because it was getting uh, pretty pretty testy between the two teams at that point. They, they were having a few skirmishes there. So they got a 15-yard personal foul. Snell then went over 100 yards rushing as he set up a 42-yard field goal attempt for Turner. So Turner had a chance to tie the Super Bowl record of four in a game. It was his fifth try of the game, but he missed it wide to the left, and it stayed 16 to nothing. So now the Colts are in desperation mode, and United led his team right downfield 80 yards for a touchdown. Uh, this is the one port portion of the game that has been lost to posterity. Um, the the recording of this, if you uh, watch the official NFL um, broadcast of this game, they've lost this drive, and you, you can't find it anywhere. So, um, <laughs> but... Um, the Colts did move the ball down 80 yards, and the Colts got it down inside the two-yard line, but it took them three runs to get it into the end zone. Finally, Hill scored on a one-yard touchdown, but now there's only 319 left in the game. And now the special Super Bowl rules came into play. Baltimore must have wished they played in the AFL at the time because the AFL allowed two-point conversions. And obviously, if you're down 16 to nothing, you score a touchdown, and now you're going to go for two. But the two-point option was not in effect for the Super Bowl. So the Colts couldn't go for two to make it 16 to eight. So that meant that they were still down by two possessions after kicking the extra point, 16 to 7. So the Colts went onside kick, and Mitchell falls on top of the kick, and the Colts have the ball, and suddenly the comeback is on. So Unitas throws to Richardson, he gets to the Jets 37, and then Unitas hits Orr, that's the first down at the 24. And now Unitas goes to Richardson five more yards. He gets out of bounds. They're at the 19-yard line, and they've got a chance to score here. But United throws a couple of incomplete passes, sets up fourth and five. So they needed nine points. So it makes sense in this scenario. Just send on the kicker, Michaels, kick the field goal, 26 yards, 27 yards maybe, and cut the deficit to six points and then go onside kick again. But Sula sends out the offense, maybe because he didn't believe in Michael's leg. Michael's had been struggling. So instead, he has the offense go out there, and United throws a pass that gets tipped by Granham, and it falls incomplete. And that was it for the Colts. The Jets were able to run out almost all of the remaining time. And the Colts got the ball back for a couple plays. United throws a couple passes, completes one of them, gets to about midfield, and then the game's over. So 
New York pulls off the most stunning upset in sports history. They were 18-point underdogs, yet they win this game 16-7 over the mighty Colts. Joe Willie Namath was the most valuable player of Super Bowl III. However, the stats don't back up this choice. He completed 17 of 28 passes for 206 yards, but no touchdown passes. And that is the answer to today's pop quiz. Namath is the only quarterback in Super Bowl history to win most valuable player without throwing or rushing for a touchdown. His passer rating was only 83.3. Did he deserve the win MVP? Many people question that pick to this day. Who was the next best player on the winning team? The man who should have won MVP if not for Namath. I'm going with running back Matt Snell. He ran the ball 30 times for 121 yards and a touchdown while catching four passes for another 40 yards. Those are numbers that are much better than Namath's. If we're being honest here, Snell deserved the most valuable player, not Namath. The least valuable player. Who was that? Now that's an easy choice. Baltimore starting quarterback Earl Morrill. The NFL MVP for 1968 was absolutely horrendous. He completed only six of his 17 passes for a whopping 71 yards and he threw three interceptions. He missed the wide-open oar at the end of the first half on a play that should have tied the game. Would have tied it, but uh, moral, really, he cost the team the game with his poor play on a day when, even if he had just been average, uh, he probably would have won the game because the Jets only scored one touchdown. Who's the most valuable player on the losing team? That goes the backup quarterback, Johnny Unitas. When Unitas came off the bench, he gave his team a spark, led them on that 80-yard drive, which ended in a touchdown, and he, he almost got them another score. And, you know, Shula kicks the field goal there. Maybe the Colts recover not another onside kick, come back to win. You never know. Uh, we'll, we'll, we'll never know what could have happened if they had gone for an onside kick or a field goal there. The biggest play of the game, I'm going with the obvious choice, the interception at the end of the first half by Hudson. If Morrow finds Orr for that touchdown on that play, we're talking about an entirely different game, maybe entirely different history of pro football, because you wouldn't have had this major upset. But instead, Morrow threw that interception to Hudson, and the Colts remained scoreless. And if it was tied at the half, that would have changed everything. What's the biggest play of the game that no one remembers? Well, Tom Matte broke off a 58-yard run, but he was tackled by Bill Baird. He sa Bill Baird saved the touchdown, and if he doesn't make that tackle, then Matte might score, and then the Colts would have tied it there. But instead, the Colts ended up throwing an interception on the drive, uh, and that that play may have been a difference in this game. Who was the best player 
in this game that you've never heard of. I'm going with defensive back Randy Beverly of the New York Jets. He had an interception off Morrill early in the second quarter. Beverly played only five seasons in pro football, three with the Jets and two with the Patriots. He intercepted 12 passes in his career, returning one for a touchdown. However, no interception was more important than the one he got in this game. Finally, I'm giving you some homework. Here are some books you'll want to read about Super Bowl III, give you more information about the game. The first one, and maybe the best one, is Beyond Broadly Joe, the Super Bowl team that changed football by Bob Lederer. This book gives profiles on every single member of the 1968 New York Jets team. If you're looking for biographies and inside stories, this is where to go. For a more general view of Super Bowl III, there's this book, From Baltimore to Broadway, Joe, the Jets, and the Super Bowl III Guarantee by Ed Groover. This one is a more general look at everything to do with 1968 in pro football and uh, covering both teams. And instead of the, the first one I mentioned was all about the Jets, and the second one is more about both teams. And if you want a contemporaneous book that was written around the time of the game, go with Countdown to Super Bowl. How the 1968-1969 New York Jets delivered on Joe Namath's guarantee to win it all by Dave Anderson. This one tells stories that took place back in the 60s at the time, and it will give you the feeling of being back in that era. It was written back in 1969, so, uh, but they, they have updated uh, versions of this book, and it's pretty good. And in two weeks, we will have the final game of the NFL versus AFL era between another huge underdog, the AFL champion Kansas City Chiefs, and a big favorite, the NFL champion Minnesota Vikings. The Chiefs were looking for respect and redemption after having lost the first Super Bowl. The Vikings are trying to win their first world championship. But until then, two weeks from now on a Tuesday, this is Tommy A. Phillips signing off for Lombardi Memory. Hey there, Sports History fan. This is Arnie Chapman, a.k.a. the Football History Dude, and I wanted to thank you for stopping by to listen to another episode here on the Sports History Network. Our podcasters are passionate about uncovering and sharing sports stories from yesteryear. And if you didn't know it already, we have over 30 shows across the network covering all sorts of sports history topics. In fact, here's a glimpse into one of our awesome podcasts here on the network. Each week, the official Football Learning Academy podcast will take you deep into the history of pro football through interviews with players, coaches, or administrators in the NFL, as well as interviews with Pro Football Hall of Fame selectors, authors, and historians 
You'll learn how the game evolved and important moments that shaped the sport into what it is today. And don't miss the Pro Football History Nugget of the Week. Listen to the official Football Learning Academy podcast on the Sports History Network. How about that? I bet you're super hyped to go listen to that new podcast, right? Well, to learn about this show and all the other podcasts on the network, head over to sportshistorynetwork.com forward slash podcast. Again, that's sportshistorynetwork.com forward slash podcast. Head over there today to find your next favorite sports history podcast.